Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Friend of a Friend podcast. It's your host, Olivia Perez. Sarah Levy is the co-founder and CEO of Y7 Studio. At 26 years old, Sarah launched Y7 as an answer to her personal desire for something other than traditional yoga. Y7 is now widely known for its sweat-dripping, beat-bumping, candlelit yoga. Classes combine 60 minutes of intensity with infrared heat, a dark room, and strength conditioning to a playlist of today's greatest hits from Frank Ocean to Drake. Since launching in 2013, the Y7 brand has expanded to a bi-coastal business with 15 studios across New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago. In 2018, Sarah was named an all-star entrepreneur by Inc. Magazine and placed on the cover of its America's 500 Fastest Growing Companies issue. In this episode, Sarah gets very candid about her previous miscarriages, how she and her husband and co-founder Mason have coped with loss, their marriage, and business relationship, and the exciting news that they're now expecting their first baby boy in June. Sarah and I also talk about how she's balancing it all, the highs and lows of her pregnancy journey, and how she's built a culture and community around I-7 that's growing and flowing across the country. Here's my friend, Sarah Levy. Hi, everyone. I am so excited because one of my closest friends in the world slash someone that I've literally looked up to since I was in college, which is like not that long ago, but I like the way it sounds. Okay, I like that. I was like, on... I've known you for so long. You have actually. Well, hold on. Sarah Levy's on the show. Hi. Um, <laughs> she's the founder of Y7, but we have been friends. I feel like you have like honestly been one of those people that took me under your wing in New York. The first time we officially met more than just like a hello we went to dinner, and I gave you a crystal out of my bag because you were very stressed out about school. I was graduating. Yeah, I was, I was taking like, my finals. You were taking finals. I was like, here, hold this. I still have the crystal, by the way. <laughs> I keep If my friends give me a crystal, I have an entire bowl that's just filled with them. And I think it's just like good juju. Yeah. It's also like a really beautiful thing to give someone a crystal. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's nice. But I remember I that. Know. So yeah, yeah, Sarah and I have been friends for so long, and I do have to say that it's been so amazing to watch you just grow this, like, baby, two babies at this point. And you haven't changed one bit. Oh, my gosh. That's so nice. Yeah. You haven't changed one bit. And that's just been really special and fun. So Sarah's been, like, my New York mama. And now she's going to be a real mama. I am. When are you due? June 7th. Okay. So she's in full glow mode right now. I wish you guys could see her. But she looks absolutely beautiful. And, it's very nice. Yeah. Um, we'll get more into pregnancy later in this conversation. Yeah. But to start off, I always ask everybody, where are you from and where do you live now? I grew up in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. And I live in New York City now and sometimes LA. 
I went to University of Wisconsin in mm-hmm. Madison. I have a BS in consumer science with a focus in retail wholesale marketing. I didn't know that. Very specific. Very specific, but, but so relevant to what you do today. So relevant. It's really interesting because I think what's cool is that all of my base courses were kind of like business school. And then my electives were all consumer behavior classes, which for me now has come to be so relevant just because what I do is I'm a service business. That's what it is. Y7 is about the client. It's about making sure they're having the best experience from the time they walk in the door. It's not just about the yoga class. It's about the front desk. It's about the consistency. It's about like the scent. It's about the feeling you get when you walk in that door. And I feel like I got to use like a lot of what I learned. I graduated in 2009. I know. (laughs) But I graduated in 2009. So I moved to New York in the very beginning of 2010. And I was working in fashion. And Y7, we didn't do the first pop-up until 2013. So I had three plus years working in fashion as an account executive. And I actually pinched my sciatic nerve in 2012 and was told I couldn't do anything but yoga as my an activity and that was what really spurred me to kind of try all these different studios and have all of these different experiences where I was never quite satisfied with what I was getting as a whole I wanted somewhere where I knew I was going to get a workout where I was going to get a great sweat in I wanted something that was 60 minutes because your girl was you know 25 and just like I don't have time for this I have a job and I have to go to work and I wanted somewhere where I could really develop my yoga practice, but also have a spiritual enough moment where it was more what I wanted as opposed to someone else's ideologies being forced upon me. And I feel like yoga really had that stigma for a while. It's like you couldn't, unless you were 100% in, it wasn't for you. It's hard. It's And that's kind of the barrier that I found personally was that, you know, I'd go to a studio and they're like, oh, you don't know what teacher you're taking. You don't know any of these teachers. Like you haven't studied their whatever program. And I was like, what? Right. No, I just, I'm new here. Hi. Or it was like an hour and 20 minutes with like a very extensive meditation, which is challenging for me. I'm not, I can't really meditate. And I think what's cool about Y7 is that we've kind of become this like gateway to this larger world of yoga, right? Where We have made the practice really, really accessible, really easy to get into. And then what's cool is we see, you know, over time, a lot of our clients start to explore different forms of yoga. So whether that is a deeper meditation practice, whether that is more of a yin practice, whether it is more of a katona-based practice where it's a lot of props and partner work or aerial, like, you know, it's really cool to see them have their own journey. But, you know, Y7 is what really got them in the door and made them comfortable with being able to explore those different facets. We wanted to make it too so that if you only want to come once a week, like that's okay. Right. You know, you don't need to be going to the same instructor three times a week and, you know, commit for this long amount of time. Like come when you want and take what you want out of it. If you want to do those extra chaturanga push-ups, like go for it. If you want to take a child's pose, also great. Really, we wanted to keep the studio focused on the client and that hour is their time and they can choose to practice how they want. So I have issues with a lot of classes, things in my life right now, but I'm not here opening pop-ups and trying to solve them. I want to hear a little bit about what was the initiative behind you opening the first Y7 pop-up. 
Yeah, so that was really, I credit that fully to Mason, who he is no longer day-to-day at the business, but he is my co-founder. He is this serial entrepreneur. I think he has, like, to date, has started over a dozen businesses. Um, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. He's probably got, like, several LLCs in Delaware under his name. (laughs) Don't we all? So (laughs) that's just, like, who he is. He's always been like that, and it's been really cool. And I think he kind of also just got tired of me complaining that I didn't want to go to yoga. And he was like, okay well, what do you want, woman? <laughs> and so he was really the driving force to do that because I didn't know you could do that. Just like start something with no money, no business plan, no nothing. And New York at the time in 2013, it was the very, very beginning of kind of co-working spaces and these collaborative spaces that we see all the time. Now, it was really rare then and New York was kind of at the forefront of that. And so after the pop-up kind of, proved to be a success. Everything was free. It was just like, let's see, we hired an audition teachers off of Craigslist who are absolutely incredible. Every single one of them has been on like, it's been so cool to watch them grow. And yeah, people wanted to start paying for it and coming other than just the weekend. So we were able to find this really cool artist loft space and it was about 300 square feet. We could afford it on our salaries. And that's what we did. We held classes at 7 a.m., 8.15 a.m., nothing during the day because we both worked, and then 7 p.m. and 8.15 p.m. at night during the week, and then we'd do a couple classes on the weekends, and that was it. When Mason asked you what you wanted out of a yoga class, what did you tell him? I said, I want it to be dark. I don't want to stare at other people, and, like, I don't want to look at myself in a mirror in a yoga pose. Like, I'm very critical of myself, and I would leave traditional yoga classes really, really upset and not at peace with my practice and not able to focus on my practice because, you know, a lot of instructors would use themselves to demo and they're all, they were all these beautiful, tall, like dancer, thin women. I was like, I don't look like that. Like I've never had abs. I've never seen them. So for me, I was like, how, what is happening? Like, I don't understand how you get like what I don't bend that way. And it was really discouraging to be honest. And so I wanted to be dark. I wanted to be no mirrors. Obviously, it can't be pitch black. So that's where the candlelight comes in. I wanted it to be fast paced. I wanted to feel like I was getting a physical workout. I didn't want to feel like I had to go do something else after. And I wanted it to be fun. And that's where the music comes in and why it's so music driven and why every single one of the playlists is curated by our instructors and they have you know bpm guidelines that they follow but it's a chance for them to really showcase their personal music taste and their personalities and it gets you moving especially during those tough times in class like music is such a motivator for me totally and it can change my whole mood like i have a playlist for everything absolutely like you know you hear that sleepy song you're like okay I can't or, I can think of dozens of times when I've been in a Y7 class that like I've been on my last energy molecule and a good song will come on and I'm like, "Oh, I can take a whole other class again." You're like, "All right, if this is going to be on, I can't just sit here. I guess I have to do something." <laughs> Pretty much. It's great. It's like that song like you keep telling yourself when you're like, "This was me when I was younger." I was like, "Okay, one more song, I'm going to leave the bar." And my last song, I'm going to leave the club, and then something else will keep coming on. You still Next do that. Thing I know. Not pregnant, but you're still it's still me. <laughs> a song, next thing I know, it's five in the morning. I'm like, oh, I was supposed to leave lasted, literally. The next song was just really long. Yeah, it was just really, really, really long. long. So that's what I wanted. And that's what Y7 is. Where did the class structure come from? 
It came from, you know, I think just taking bits and pieces of everything that I loved from classes I had taken and things I didn't like. I love the idea of repetition. For me, when I was in a more traditional class, you know, we do a pose on one side and I'd be like, okay, like listening really, really carefully, trying to get my body in the right place. And then we do it on the other side and be like, okay, I got this. Like I know where I'm supposed to be now and I couldn't wait to do it again. I'd be like, okay, like I feel like I know what I'm doing. And then we wouldn't do the pose again. And I was like, all right, well, when am I going to get to do that again? You know, and maybe I wouldn't do it the next class. And I think what's interesting about yoga is that it's so much of muscle memory. And I felt like that was really lacking. And it was hard for me to gauge my progress within the poses when, you know, say I only had the time or money to take class once a week. So I could go three weeks without getting to do that certain pose again. And then I'd be back at the beginning because I forgot, (laughs) you know, what muscle I was supposed to be engaging or like where my knee was supposed to be in, in, you know, relation to my toes or whatever it is. And so I really wanted that repetition. And then since I do have a back injury, also for me, there's a lot of times where I know when I need to modify a pose. And you weren't really given that freedom in traditional classes because you were told to look like this or go a little bit deeper. And there was no opportunity to kind of make something your own, which is what I love about the flow on your own Porsche. You can go super fast. You can time with your own breath. You're not on anyone else's breath movement at that point. It's your breath. It's your movement. It's your practice. And, you know, it's an opportunity to try that handstand hop when it's called for. And it's my favorite thing in Y7 when, which I don't see in other yoga class. It's my favorite thing when like the teacher cues, if you want, try handstand hop. Everyone is like up there and you just hear like thudding because <laughs> everyone's okay to fall. Like right. no one feels embarrassed about trying something new. And that's what I think was missing for me out of a lot of studios and experiences I was getting was that like kind of freedom to fail a little bit and not feel embarrassed or you're being watched or you know if if you fall in a brightly lit room everyone's like are you okay everyone's head immediately snaps to you we're like you hear a thud in y7 like no one cares it's true. <laughs> yeah it's really true i love that definitely i've actually had a lot of people that have because i tell everybody about y7 i might as well tattoo it on my head i'm oh, like these I are the three it. classes that i go to and y7 is one of them but i have a lot of people who are terrified of the flow on your own portion because I, I think that they just, I mean, you and I have a background in growing up going to yoga classes. Right. If you're not someone that has, it's a really daunting thing Absolutely. to like be there in that moment. So I'm excited for people to listen to this and be like, okay, you know what? Yeah. And it's cool. Like people hear that portion of it. And we always tell like anyone who's doing more like, listen, it takes at least three times until you're like, I get it now. Right. Like I got it. Because totally. the first time you're like, what? I totally forgot what I was supposed to do. But What's cool is you have to be okay with that. Like it's an interesting opportunity for I think some people who have that little bit of fear to be okay with not knowing exactly what they're supposed to do and not being told exactly what to do. You're kind of like, oh, right. Okay. And if not, there's child's pose. Yeah. So back to the pop-up a little bit. What was your first hire when you went out of the pop-up and into your first space? We didn't make, I mean, it had always kind of remained instructors. And then after we moved into our own space, we did hire a couple front desk. But that was it really until I fully left my career in 2015. So I worked full time for the first two years of Y7. I know. I don't know. I don't know how I did. People ask. I'm like, I don't know. It was just like... You know, this was also the boutique fitness market is very different now than it was then. And it wasn't a thing like I didn't know that you could make a full 
like have a growing business because all I had seen, you know, were the bigger box studios that have multiple locations in each state or all over the world. And then every other studio I had seen was just kind of like a one-off where, you know, it was surrounded by the whole schedule was really based off of a really, really popular and experienced instructor who had like a wealth of knowledge and people were really coming to visit them in a space. Right. It was like the soul and, cycle craze during that time. Yeah. Soul cycle, I feel like during that time was really the only one that was building that with also like instructor prestige. Right. Exactly. So it was a little new and you know, yoga is one of these modalities that has been around forever and it hasn't really changed that much. So for me, it was a little scary to kind of jump all in and when you're responsible for people's paychecks, it's doubly scary I think doubly I don't know if that's a word but we'll We'll make it a word here yeah have a large case of pregnancy brain happening so excuse my excuse my words but that's a really big responsibility and I always wanted to make sure that we were able first and foremost to make sure we were able to pay our staff and then that I was also able to live too and pay my rent so I think we were able to get away with having very, very little hires. But as soon as we took on uh, private equity funding in late 2016, one of our first hires was actually HR. Why? At that point, we had almost 100 employees already. And it's a lot. And we have a lot of different employees, a lot of different tiers. We have our studio managers. We have our studio staff, which is front desk and cleaning staff. And then we also have our instructors and everyone is on kind of a different pay structure. So our teachers don't just get paid an hourly rate. They're also paid a per student rate as well. And our studio managers are on salaries. They're full time. And then everyone else is pretty much part time hourly. So it's a lot of different kind of nuanced structures and it was getting really complicated. And also just when you have a growing company, one of the most important things, I think, and and a lot of people, entrepreneurs especially, would agree with me that culture is super, super important. And that is like your people are your business. It's the foundation of your business. It will mark the success or failure of your business, your people. So it was really important for us to kind of sit down, decide like who we are as a company, what we want to do, the benefits we want to offer, the community we want to build around our internal system as well. So Natalie is our director of people and she was one of our first hires. That's insane. Yeah. I know this because we've talked about it, but I know you've had some bad hires. Yeah. I think there's always, you know, you learn as you hire. And I've talked about this a couple of times, but you have to remember You have to put yourself in someone else's shoes too, that everyone's on their best behavior when they're on an interview. It's true. Everyone. They do the thing where it's like one of those questions that I hate and I never liked answering, which was always like, what would you say your worst three qualities are? Well, I'm really, really hardworking. And so, you know, I, I don't really have a life because I just put everything I have in work and you're like, okay. Like, we'll see about that. But it's one of those things. Then you set yourself up for an unrealistic expectation. And being in a startup is also so interesting, too, because you're going to have to pick up tasks maybe that were not on the job description per se. But when you're in kind of roles that are hybrid and that will change and morph as the business grows, it really is kind of an all-hands-on-deck mentality that people really need to have and you have to be willing to put in those extra hours and know that 
you are here to grow with the company and you know that should be the ultimate thing I'd love to talk a little bit about scaling because you're just yeah. about to open your 15th location yes. in Chicago which is yes. insane seven years 15 locations yeah that's a really fast scale especially for someone who's you've basically dominated all of Manhattan and now you're in yeah. Brooklyn Manhattan yeah Manhattan you're in basically every borough I think yes. that was your goal though yeah Manhattan where we're struggling for new neighborhoods in Manhattan I mean I don't know where else yeah. you would go when I tell you like she literally has hit every little neighborhood I mean it like your next one is Upper West Side yes we're actively searching Upper West Side so stay tuned if anyone is aching for that studio. We're working on it. What do you think has been the key to you scaling so fast? I think we got really, really lucky in our timing. You know, we opened in Williamsburg right as kind of boutique fitness started coming out. Like ClassPass had just launched. We signed with them when we were, they were Classtivity. Didn't even know that nobody, was the phase of yeah, yeah, it was before they even really raised money and this kind of boom of boutique fitness we really kind of grew up in. We were one of, I think, the earlier studios to have a location when this all first started happening. And now it's been in people's routines. And I think it's really interesting the way we look at our consumer behavior is that New York is such a cool place to start because in New York, we're getting our clients hitting two or three studios that are in their regular like visit cadence as opposed to just one because the subways, people are going where they live. They're also going where they work. And then maybe they're going to one on the weekends where they're meeting their friends for brunch. So everyone kind of has more than one studio location that they want. And, you know, the market is so dense and so hungry for new things that it was a really, really cool opportunity to expand into. And, you know, it gave us a really great foothold and we're able now, you know, we're in a place where a lot of our clients have kind of grown up with us. You have you have secretly moved to LA. Oh my god, you just said that on my podcast. I just <laughs> I, I there's two, you. There's but two, you're back and forth. I'm but back and you're forth. Like, there's also two Y7s here, so you yeah. shouldn't So it's one of those things where our clients have really grown up with us and are starting to move outside of Manhattan. Right. So people are maybe moving back home to Chicago. They're moving to the outer boroughs. They're moving, you know, back to LA. Like I have a ton of friends I've lost to LA <laughs> in the last like two years. I'm like, oh, okay, bye. But we're still seeing obviously a lot of people in Manhattan and New York, but a lot of our clients who've been with us for four or five years are also growing up and kind of moving on with their lives and, you know, moving to other places. So it's I mean, really cool to hear where they want us to go and be able to open in new cities with a really, really great base already. I mean, I remember taking class and you were working the front desk. Oh, yeah. I love me a front desk shift. I mean, you and you just did that. I, I love what you post on Instagram. Oh, yeah. we For people that haven't <laughs> seen it yet, why don't you tell everybody what Yeah, so we do, again, like culture, our internal culture is like super, super important to us. So we do this thing called Project One Tribe, where everybody from the leadership team works a front desk shift. We do it a couple times a year, as much as we can try and do. Everyone's schedules are busy, but we work shifts. My VP of marketing was cleaning mats last week. Love that. Go rocks. I worked the Saturday crazy front desk shift at East Village probably two weekends ago. I was doing laundry in the back during turnovers and it's fun and it just gives you, you know, it gives everyone on our team an idea of what every other member of our team does during their days. And I think that's important, right? Because we can talk about how important the client experience is, 
all we want. But if we're not there to experience how that check-in process works and experience maybe a problem or a glitch for ourselves, how are we able to fix it? And how are we able to relate to the studio teams when we are putting new processes in place, when we are doing new marketing initiatives? Everyone on my team knows now what our studio teams go through and how busy the check-ins get. Like 15 minutes may seem like enough time in theory. It is wild. You have 32 people coming out, 32 people coming in. You have to turn over the room. That means a full mop. That means mats, towels, laundries. There's always someone who locks themselves out of lockers. There's the bathroom turnovers. There's just a lot of little things that goes into it. So, you know, we always think it's super important to make sure that everyone gets to experience that. I love that so much. And it's so fun. I really love that. I love it. It's amazing to see the type of, the kind of team and culture that you've built in seven years. It's very cool. Thank you. Of course. But one thing you've never done is talk class. No. I don't teach. By the way, is my absolute favorite tidbit about you and the founding of this company. Yeah, I thought about it and I do, I do have my certification. I do have my 200 hours and I have taught on occasion for events or co-taught with a teacher for, you know, a charity or something like that. But I'm the client. This studio was started for me and what I wanted out of yoga practice. And I never want to forget that. And I always want to remain, you know, with my eyes on that experience. And the studio is not about me. It's not about people coming to my class. It's not about people coming for me. It's about the client. And I always want it to be about the client. I want when anyone walks into the studio, I very much respect that they are taking an hour out of their day to spend with us. And that's the most important thing. So I want people coming for themselves. I don't want them coming for a certain teacher or because they saw, I don't know. I just want people coming for themselves because they want to do something for themselves. What I found like as the client is like, that was really intimidating for me. Like, oh, I wasn't on a first name basis with the instructor and just be like, hey, hey, Liv, are we doing that thing that we did last week that we've been building up to all week? You know, as a new person, it's like, oh what are we doing or right you know when instructor talks to them they're like okay we've been practicing this move or like doing this thing all week and then you leave somebody who's you know maybe trying to break into this you know fitness world and find their own fitness routine you leave them on the outside a little bit and I never want anyone feeling like that at Y7 and I think that was always really important to me because I was that person you know I was I don't love working out I do it so I can eat and drink more. It's really like, I do it so I can eat all the breads. I love breads. I love bagels. I'm full gluten. So, you know, I love all the things. I get it. And for me, working out and finding that community has always been really, really challenging for me and intimidating. So I think there's a space for everyone in terms of, you know, what motivates them, what works for them. But you know, why seven, we want to remain super focused on the client and their personal reasons for being there. And they may fall off their journey for a little while and they may come back like, oh, I haven't been in a while. And like, that's okay. There's still like a space for you here. Like you didn't miss anything. You can kind of just slide back into it. My most proud friend moment for you was when you were on the cover of Inc. That was crazy. Sarah followed me in every airport I was in for like a month, which was so cool. She looked so awesome. But you were number 80, right? 80. On the list of 100 yeah. of Inc.'s top entrepreneurs of 2018. Yes, 2018. Which is yeah. insane. Absolutely insane. And to get the cover was just such a uh, like, momentous occasion. It was so weird. 
But I think I was also like, it was like such a... Well, they don't tell you. Right. And you don't know you're even shooting for it because it's like this big secret. And so I didn't know what was going on. And so I was like, oh, there's hair and makeup here. I was like, oh, okay, cool. I was like, oh, backgrounds, backdrops. Okay. <laughs> I just thought I was going in to take like a little headshot, little headshot and was like, hello. Nope. No. Totally different. So it was really cool. And it was really, really incredible to be honored amongst such amazing companies. And as a small company, you know, my leadership team is still really tiny. There's every single person on my team is a team of one, aside from like two of them. It's just them. My retail department, it's just Melanie. Keep it close. Just her. Keep just her. Okay. So, you know, my finance department, just Stephanie. So it's crazy to be acknowledged for how far we've come in such a massive way. It was really special. I know that fitness was a big focus right. of theirs in 2018 because there were so many studio concepts that did make right. the list. And we do have to submit like a lot of our stats and our employees and things like that and how much money we've raised. And for the very little we've done, I think that had a lot to do with it. And I credit that to how we always laugh at the office. We say we do the most with the least. And I mean, great. it's really true. And I think that's what really kind said. of pushed us, you know, to the forefront of like, look at what they were able to build with not a ton of money. And we were self-funded up until the sixth location. So at that point, it was half of our locations were self-funded. And, you know, we didn't have a team until 2017, really, was when my team, I would say, was made kind of whole. So we did all that without a business plan, without, you know, this traditional roadmap. And it makes for a really, a really cool story. And I think, people can kind of look at what we were able to do and see something that they could potentially do, which I always find like really inspiring when, you know, I'm the first person to say this. I'm very much an accidental entrepreneur, like full on making it up as I go. I have a lot of support now, but for the first four years, it was very much like, yeah, I, I can, I can do that. And then Googling how the fuck do I do that? So looking up what, you know, these permits I needed or city codes and all of that stuff, it's really a learn as you go. So, you know, there's no prerequisites really when it comes to starting something. You just kind of have to go with it. I love that in that story, they called you the unlikely yoga mogul. Yeah, that's me. But I do think that there's something so cool to be said about so many entrepreneurs that I've even had on the show that didn't go to school for what they started didn't even really love what they started yeah and just saw a very clear business opportunity and went for it yeah and I, I think what everyone has in common with that when you hear these stories is that it all comes from a really personal spot right it was a personal need for me it was like I couldn't find what I wanted in yoga and I didn't love it but I wanted to yeah and now I do as your friend for a couple years I've watched you dedicate your whole life to work but now life is different and there's a little munchkin on the way. I do think that there is like this really awesome moment that I've been witnessing so many women in my life who mm -hmm. I admire and look up to and love and adore. And there's a very clear shift in their life where they're like, okay, I've built this thing or I'm still building this thing, but I also am ready to start a family. And I would love to just jump yeah. into that topic. Yeah. And see what it was like for you. It's always, you know, having a family is something that my husband and I've always wanted and known that's like, we want that. And it's a weird thing. There's never a right time. There's never like, totally. there's always something more that I could want in order to feel more secure. And 
I think you just kind of have to go for it. And I feel like what's going to happen is going to happen. I feel in a really good place with my team. So that has really, really helped kind of ease my like, I physically have to be spaces. And this was always going to happen eventually. So I've learned through the whole pregnancy journey to just like let go of a lot of control anyways and just kind of let what happens happens and I can only prepare myself so much and so that's what I'm going to do and go from there and my day will change I know that but like my day is so different anyways day to day so but how's pregnancy been for you so far how do you feel well I was very ill my first trimester I was like vomiting on the street I was like that girl where people just like definitely thought I was hungover. I was like, I swear I'm not hungover. I'm pregnant. I'm not hungover. <laughs> but as soon as I kind of like got a couple of weeks into my second trimester, I felt thankfully like aside from my expanding body, pretty normal. So that's been great. The sickness was worth it. If I get to feel like this throughout the rest of it. I have never been pregnant, nor have I had a miscarriage. So I would love to talk about it. But again, I would love to disclaim that if I say anything that feels off, I don't mean it. It's just coming from a no, place of, no, of I, not have, being able to yeah. not understanding and wanting to understand. Yeah. But I always disclaim that because I always feel like if you haven't experienced something yourself, it can come off differently. Yeah. And I appreciate that because I think that's 100% true with something like miscarriage. So to back up a little bit, so everyone has background, I've had two miscarriages. So this is my third pregnancy. And I've had two DNCs as well, which is the surgery that you need to have to just get everything out because I didn't miscarry naturally. So it's a weird thing. And I was not prepared at all for my first one. I did the responsible thing. I've been on birth control since I was 16 years old. I went off at 30, right before I turned 31. I went off and we weren't like, we just pulled the goalie in essence. I wasn't like really tracking anything. It was more so like, you know, doctors and tell you and you know people who have been on birth control like you know it takes about a year it can take up to a year for your system to kind of re-regulate and recalibrate you know you've been on this thing for 15 years it's gonna take your body a minute to get used to not having these hormones so I was like all right let's do this let's just you know stop taking the pill and like whatever and then hopefully in six months or a year I'll get pregnant I got pregnant within two months of being off birth control so not only was it very fast It was probably one of my first friends in New York to get pregnant. So it was a lot. It was really exciting. It was like, holy shit. And I was not at all, I didn't know anyone who had had a miscarriage. So I was not at all emotionally prepared to get that kind of news, especially being someone who was relatively young. You don't really hear, no one talks about it really So that I had a really, really hard time with my first miscarriage. We actually stopped. I was like, I'm so, so sorry, Mason made. We were pulling out for another like nine months. I was like, I can't do it. Like, I'm not ready. It's also, you know, when you have a DNC, it's a pretty major surgery. You're all the way out. You have the whole like two week kind of healing period with antibiotics and the anti-inflammation. And, you know, you have to really get checked out. So it's also like that daily reminder that this didn't work out for you and, It's also something that people don't really talk about with miscarriages. The majority of them, there's nothing that the mother could or couldn't have done to prevent it. So I think what I had a hard time with when, you know, I was talking about letting go of control a little bit was there was nothing I could kind of grab onto. It was like, oh, 
I did this and that's why this happened or I didn't do this and that's why it happened. So next time I know to either avoid this thing or, you know, make sure I'm taking X amount of vitamins a day and then I can guarantee that this won't happen again. There's no guarantee. It's just, it's science. It's luck of the draw. It's how many eggs you drop that month. And like if the sperm fits the egg and there's so much science and like nobody really... And no matter what happens, like, even though inside, like, I know it wasn't, it wasn't anything I did. There's nothing wrong with me. We did all the tests and all that stuff. There's no, like, predisposition that Mason or I have where we can't conceive and there was no real answers to anything. And that's kind of the hardest part. It's a toss up. And so you're like, okay, it's not in your hands at all. So that for me was kind of the hardest thing and, you know, not having any answers or following like this course of treatment which you can do a lot. And I know several people now who just have unexplained infertility. Like there's no rhyme or reason. And that's tough. And you feel a lot of shame. You feel a lot of shame because it's your body and it didn't work the way that you were told. You know, we're so trained as we're young and we take sex ed that like, if you have sex, you will get pregnant. And that's like, you're like, oh, shit. Okay. Uh, like all right. Said, I'm celibate. <laughs> In reality, like when you start to understand ovulation, like I didn't understand ovulation until I was, until I had miscarriage. I was like, wait, now that I'm tracking my fertility, I was like, there's literally three days that I can get pregnant. I'm like, what is happening? Why didn't no one tell me this? It's unbelievable. The lack, how it's, one-sided sex education it's was. It's so we crazy. Children. It's like, if you have sex, you will get pregnant. You will get an STD. And you're like, whoa, Okay. <laughs> And I think obviously like we don't want everyone just running around having sex when they're 15, 16, but there also is this whole other side to education about like understanding your body and the way that the science works behind it. And I was very ill-informed when it came to that. You're not alone um, in that. Yeah. So, I didn't learn. I'm 26. I didn't learn all that probably until about a year ago. Yeah. And there's no one to really like teach you or talk about it at this totally. point, right? Like we're adults. We're right. out of school. It's on our own. And so it was really interesting to kind of go through and it's been an interesting process to kind of work through letting go of sort of that self-blame because you don't have anywhere else to put it. Right. You know, there's nothing you can look at and be like this. If you get food poisoning, you're like, oh, I ate, I ate gas station sushi. Like I probably, I don't feel good. I probably shouldn't do that. Oh, I'm sick. I was around my friend who has a cold and I shared a drink with them. It's, you know, things like that you can point to and be like, well, I won't do that. We get flu shots to avoid getting the flu. There's nothing like that with miscarriage. It's just like it happens. So I think that was a hard thing to kind of wrap my head around. But now being pregnant, like there's nothing I did. There's nothing I did differently this time. How have you been managing pregnancy and work? Does it feel different? No. Okay. I think thankfully in the beginning it was hard because I did not feel my right, best. Right. I didn't feel great. So I was like, oh, I hope... I hope I'm still like looking everyone in the eyeballs and when I'm talking to them or like not forgetting <laughs> anything or like spacing out yeah. um, or things like that. But work has been – work's been good. I think it's really – it's been really nice to feel busy because, again, we can go back to like that anxiety. You know, then you start to like obsess over everything and like I can get lost in the Google searches for hours. So keeping busy has been really, really great for me. It allows me to focus on something else and continue to have – a life outside of just this one thing, which I think is super important. So, you know, it's important for balance. I think it's important when we look at our relationships with our partners or friends or things like that. It's a healthy balance kind of thing. 
I was reading your article with Women's Health, which I love. And if you guys are oh, listening to this, you. you should go on there and read it because I think there are so many valuable tidbits about pregnancy, loss, marriage, life, yeah. love. Like thank there is something you. to be taken out of that story for everybody. But one thing that I particularly loved was that you were really open about you and Mason going to therapy. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is a really harsh stigma around couples therapy. Yeah, you know, what's funny about how we first started going was we were business partners and partners in a relationship, like in a personal relationship. And we'd also started managing a team, which is like a lot. So we like, (laughs) he will say this too, like it is one of the hardest things both of us have ever done. Like our marriage was probably in the toughest spot it's ever been in during that time where it was like we were working so closely together living together, spending every single second together. It was like, we didn't get a chance to breathe, to really like kind of be our own people. And that was, that was one of the things we first started going to therapy for is we actually started and we still see her, but her name's Yael and her husband actually have this incredible company called Collaborative Coaching. And what they do a lot of is coaching for business partners and CEOs or like co-CEOs or, you know, anyone who's in this relationship in a sense. And that's what it is. So we started seeing her for that. And because our lives were so intertwined with the business, we needed it and it saved our marriage. And, you know, ultimately, like we realized together, he is this serial entrepreneur, like where he finds joy is building companies and being innovative and taking all these risks. And once we got Y7 to a point where it was like he wasn't really feeling, you know, like he was able to express himself fully creatively and, you know, being able to do the real fun stuff because we had such a huge responsibility. We had financial goals. We have all these other things. There's departments we need to support and we can't just throw $100,000 at like this really fun pop-up for a day. I think us kind of getting a business divorce in a way, like he's still very involved. He's on the board. He came with me this morning to see a space. He has kind of a great eye for that stuff. So we definitely still talk about Y7 and, you know, he has a new venture too that I help him with sometimes as well. So it's still a really supportive relationship, but, you know, I think going to therapy really like allowed us to talk about like what those frustrations were. Yeah. That's really great. Yeah, and it's really now like we do it for a lot of maintenance. It's I think you know, it's, it's like, upkeep. Yeah. It's I don't know. It's it's important for us to really especially now that we are expecting, it's important for both him and I to prioritize our relationship and our communication skills because once you add this little human into the mix, like our relationship is going to take a backseat a little bit because we're going to be trying to keep this thing person alive right you know totally. change it feed it make sure it totally. has all the things it needs and you know when that happens you tend to put the person you're closest with kind of on the back burner because you come to rely on them and they might not always be there if you don't kind of take care of that relationship I think from an educational perspective mm-hmm. I also would love to talk about what could have helped you more from a friendship perspective okay. during those really difficult times for you and I know that in the women's health issue you talk a lot about people's response to you talking about your miscarriage and how a lot of them made you uncomfortable or didn't help and I always I always want to know like because it's tough it's a both positions are hard you can say the wrong thing it's like you're getting there was no right or wrong like I was never mad at anybody for how they I was never mad at the person for how they responded let's rephrase the question yeah it was most like What's the most helpful response that you wish you got in that moment? Or what was the best thing that someone said to you that helped you through that moment? 
the best response that I ever got. It wasn't anything anyone ever said to me. It was, what do you need? And I think it's hard because even, you know, with Mason, it's, and you will 100% experience this, the second you realize you're pregnant, you become a mother is my honest, like, I wouldn't have said that before I had gotten pregnant, but you're growing something inside of you. It doesn't matter if it's a bundle of cells or not. That's how I personally felt. And so even though I didn't hold it, I didn't see a fully formed face on a sonogram, it was still a loss for me. And, you know, at that point, I don't think it registers to somebody else either. And that's okay. It's not anyone's fault. Again, it's not like bad or good. It just is. And I got a lot of like, oh, it'll happen for you. It's just not your time. And I was like, fuck off. Like, it doesn't make it any less heartbreaking, right? if that makes sense. Like, I don't think any of those statements were coming from a place of malice or like ill will. It was more meant to be like, don't worry, it will happen for you kind of thing. But like, what if it didn't? I think we get uncomfortable as a society talking about the tough stuff and the things that make us uncomfortable. So the natural reaction is to be like, everything will be okay. And while that can be supportive in some cases, and some people may find that very supportive, I found it very dismissive. And that was super triggering for me. And I didn't like, you know, and I was going through this whole other thing. It was just a lot of emotions. And for me, the most helpful thing was, you know, one of my girlfriends was like, what do you need? She's like, do you want me to come over with food? What do you want? Do you want me to just sit there? Do you want me to go away? Like, what do you want from me? And I was like, great question. I was like, I don't know. I don't even know what I need right now. And that was something that was really like, okay, I need to, yeah, I do. I do want you to come over and sit here with me. I don't want to talk about it this second, but I might want to in a month from now. And so being given the space to grieve in whatever way it is, I think is something that, you know, if you know anyone who's going through a situation like this, I think everyone grieves differently too. So, you know, and everyone's going to have different reactions to that. So my reaction to my second miscarriage was very different from my first. I was more prepared. I was like, after the DNC, I was like, all right, let's get back in there. Let's do this again. I like the you optimism. Know, yes. kind of thing, mm-hmm. which was very different from my first where I just kind of like shrunk and just because I had no knowledge of what to expect and I didn't have anyone to talk to and I didn't, I just wasn't, I wasn't prepared. And so there was a lot of work I had to do on my part emotionally to get myself where I needed to be in order to feel comfortable trying again and being again like letting go of control and being okay with like loss I hope that you find solace in it and are able to heal on your own and I think that there's like a misconception that you like should be healed now because like you have the baby and it's gonna happen and it's like no take your time it's It's uh, so yeah I still get I still get mad like why should I have had to go through two of these two losses yeah to get to where I am now and like it is what it is I think everyone you know everyone's journey is different and Mine is certainly not as hard as other couples may have been. and But again, it's such a personal thing too. Yeah. So you think everyone should have the space to kind of go through that process. What's feeding you right now? What are you listening to, watching, reading? Oh gosh. I'm reading actually a lot of baby books, which is really funny. As you should. As I should. Because I'm like, I don't know what's going on in my body. One of my girlfriends gave Whoa. me a book that I am reading right now called Expecting Better that I love. It was written by an economist. Um, and just talks about you hear a lot of these like well they say not to do x or don't do y and you're like what what why not 
And so she actually dove deep into studies and like found all the research and, you know, all the things that kind of give you like real reason to be like, oh, okay. I have friends who are like eating sushi during pregnancy. Yeah. Again, it's, you know. Different times. It's one of the strokes for different Yeah. And it's one of those things where like, go ahead. Again, it's don't eat gas station sushi, maybe. Right. Like, but like high end, yeah, we'll go for like, it. But that's just a normal thing in life you probably shouldn't do regardless if you're pregnant right. or not. Right. So, you know, it puts into perspective a lot of these fears I think that pregnant women have about like everyday like little things. So I've been loving that book that's lately. Awesome. Yeah. And then I think just spending time with the people that I love and that make me happy has been really important. It's kind of pregnancy has forced me to sort of – focus a little bit more on my relationships and what I want those to look at look like as I think about who I want my child to be spending time with and who I want him to look at as his family so stuff like that too which has been really it's been really nice so 2020 is a big year for you location 15 in Chicago 15 new little man on the way that's right I think you're gonna I mean I'm privy to the knowledge, but you're definitely expanding beyond Chicago. We are, <laughs> and we're so excited. It's been so much fun. And I'm just excited to do more of what we do and to talk more about what we're doing, you know, in terms of trying to change the face of what yoga looks like and what a practice can look like and what what a yogi looks like, really. You know, it's not one size fits all. Everyone's body is different. Everyone's practice is going to look different, and that's super important to me as we, you know, I think – mindfulness and wellness and all of this stuff is becoming a really regular part of people's lives now. You have your routines that you do in the morning and people have really reserved kind of a sacred space of, you know, taking care of themselves physically and mentally. So I'm just excited to be a part of that and to be able to continue to spread what we do as Y7. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Friend of a Friend. Before you go, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at tiermedia.com. And for more behind the scenes of the show, visit us at friendofafriend.us and follow me at Liv Perez on Instagram. Don't forget the two Bs. See you next week.